It's my joy tonight to be able to open God's word and share with you, and it really is always a privilege and an honor, so I hope that you are prepared to hear from a God who loves you, who knows your name. He has something new to say. Out of maybe things we've already heard, but he has something fresh and new for each one of us, so it's exciting to come into God's presence and know that to be the truth, isn't it? So as we get started tonight, um, I am a more is more kind of girl. It's kind of my personality. It's how God's wired me. Is anybody else a more is more kind of person? I mean, I grew up in the 80s, right? If a little bit of makeup is good, more is better, right? If a little bit of Aquanet hairspray is good, more is better. Um, I have just always been wired that way. I've had to learn. Gosh, I'm 48 years old. I'm still learning that more is not always more. I remember as a little girl sitting, uh, being taught how to bake. I was probably like six or seven, and my mom let me make my first cake by myself. And it was a carrot cake. It had those plump golden raisins, right, and shredded carrot and coconut. It was a tropical carrot cake. I know. It would be so great if we had servers that were going to serve you cake right now. But we don't. Don't get excited. But as a little girl, I remember being able to make my first cake by myself. But I also remember the frosting, the cream cheese frosting being super runny. And I remember thinking, well, I just put like two, three, four cups of flour in the cake, I'm going to add it to this frosting till I get it to the consistency I want. And so I did it, and it was a layered cake. I mean, it was a thing for me. It was a whole situation of Vanessa executing. And I was so proud of myself. And so that night at dinner, I remember cutting the cake. My family was making such a big deal about it. Everybody, I was serving them a slice of this cake. And as I finally served myself, I just, I remember looking around, and my dad's jaw was like working very side to side because what I didn't realize is when you add flour to um, a cream cheese frosting, which I, I'm assuming I melted the cream cheese in the microwave or something, it turns into this kind of gelatinous, rubbery texture that is difficult to chew, and they were all being so kind. But that is one of my earliest memories of more is not always more, right? More is not always more. But how many are excited that in God's word, God's virtues, God's promises, the good things of the Lord, that more is always more? We can trust that, that more is always more. And tonight, I want to talk to you about something we can never have too much of. God always has more for us. And that is very simply, I want to talk to us tonight about joy. I believe that joy is supposed to be something that marks our lives as devoted followers of Christ. I believe it's supposed to invade us. It's supposed to be overflowing from us. Joy is something we see in God's word all throughout scripture, not just in certain portions, but Old New Testament, the prophets, all the different types of books. It's over 150 times just the word joy. If you add in the word rejoice, it's it's quadrillion million, right? It's lots. A couple things as I started studying joy. I was writing the scriptures out and just meditating on them weeks ago, and I began to realize so many of the scriptures about joy are linked to strength and endurance. Strength for the journey, endurance for the road ahead, right? Endurance for this life. The other thing I noticed about joy is it's, I don't think we're supposed to have like a quarter cup of joy. I think it's supposed to be overflowing. So many of the scriptures in the Bible about joy say to the full measure that your joy may be complete, overwhelming, abundant. Like we're supposed to be leaking joy. It's supposed to saturate our lives. And so how many tonight could use more joy? 
if you don't think you can, you, this message is for you because you can, because you need to. The grumpy person in the back, I'm just kidding. I really can't see anybody with these lights, so I don't know who's in the back. And online church, we know you could use more joy. Come on. I want more, and more of joy is more of joy. So in talking about joy, um, in our modern vernacular, we use joy and happiness interchangeably, but they're very different. And I want to say for the record, happiness gets a bad rap. How many want to be happy? It's not bad to want to be happy, right? Like, if you don't want to be happy, I'm not sure I really want to be your friend. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's human to want to be happy. It's healthy to want to be happy. It's normal to want to be happy. But happiness is very different than the joy that God promises us. And so to get us started, I just want to define these words and so you can begin to think about the difference. Maybe you've never given thought to the actual tangible difference between these two things. Happiness is a positive, pleasant emotion, right, as, that is a result of a sense of well-being, right, a sense of contentment and fulfillment. Joy is something different, though. It's an internal source. It's deep-rooted. It comes up from within us. It can give feelings of happiness, but it's something different. Happiness is derived from what's happening around us. That's what I think of. Happiness has to do with our happenings, and that's not a bad thing. But joy, joy, feelings of happiness, or excuse me, joy can come from things that are happening, but it is not dependent on those things that are happening, right? My happiness is dependent on the things that are happening. How many know things start to happen and you don't feel happy? Joy is different. It can't be lost in that way. Happiness is an outward expression because of, fill in the blank, I feel happy. Joy is in spite of, fill in the blank, I still have joy. Very different. Happiness, the opposite would be what? Yell it out. Sadness, right, exactly, front row, way to go, Celeste. Sadness, sorrow, but I would suggest to you that the opposite of joy is hopelessness, hopelessness. I love this definition that Kay Warren gives in this book, and as we dive into joy tonight, obviously we have a few minutes together, but um, I had my sermon locked and loaded a week ago, praying through it, ready to go, and I mentioned it to somebody, and they said, you should read this book, Choose Joy, and so I I have not read it cover to cover, but she has a lot to say. It's Rick Warren's wife, Kay Warren, wrote this book. She wrote it from a place that's powerful because they had a son that they raised in their home and um, that was mentally ill, and that was part of her own journey as a mother. And then he eventually took his life several years ago. And so she wrote this book before, and then she added addendums to it, and she speaks with great power about what joy is coming from a place of places I've not walked. And so if this is something that resonates with you, I did want to just mention that as a resource, but I loved her definition. It says, the settled assurance that God is in control of all of the details of my life. Number two, the quiet confidence, that inner, in, that inner uh, welling up, that quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Joy flows from a reservoir inside of you that has the ability to sustain you even when nothing on the outside gives you a reason to rejoice, right? It comes from that internal source. That is why the Bible says we can have joy in the midst of trials. James 1, verse 2, 2 through 4. 
One of those scriptures, you kind of wish it wasn't there, right? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I wish it went on to say, because I'm going to take the trials away and make your life easy and better, right? But it doesn't. What does it say? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What we see here is that there is an outcome that is promised on the other side of trials and that our joy can be complete because we know the outcome. So I've always, I've always heard that happiness is something you pursue and joy is something you choose. But I have found that that whole idea of just choose joy is somewhat limited because how many have been through seasons where you're trying to choose joy, right? But it's kind of hard to find, you know what I'm saying? And it just feels a little trite to say choose harder, choose more intentionally because maybe I'm having trouble even finding it on the landscape of options here. So I've had that conversation with God and what God has taken me to more recently is that joy is a choice, but there's more to it. Joy is a chosen focus. And that's what I'd like us to talk about and unpack tonight. Joy is a choice, but it's a choice to put our focus on the right thing. Let's go to Hebrews 12 too. Meet me there. Okay, it's not as cool when I say it. Okay, did everyone notice when Pastor James said it a couple weeks ago? He's like, Hebrews 12 too, meet me there. And Fred and I were like, oh, meet me there. That's good. I was like, it's not going to go over when I say it. Hebrews 12.2, joy is a chosen focus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I love this, right? The author here is saying, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer, he started it. The perfecter, he's going to finish it. He's the man. He's the one. For the joy that was set even before him, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was able to experience joy in the midst of the darkest moment in history because his focus was on what was set before him, for the joy that was set before him. And what that was was a guaranteed outcome of what was to come. What was that guaranteed outcome that you and I also have, by the way, right? The guaranteed outcome that sin would be defeated, that humanity was going to be restored into right relationship with God, that death would be conquered. That outcome is what Jesus, even Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, even Jesus had to put his eyes on the joy so, so he could get through the trials, the happenings, what was happening, and there was a guaranteed outcome. And how many know because of what he did for us, we have a guaranteed outcome outcome. Joy is a point of view. It's a way of looking at things. It is not the absence of sadness or hardship. Joy can be experienced when we set our eyes and set our focus on the guaranteed outcome of the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus. Joy, I would argue, is a chosen focus before it's a feeling, long before it's a feeling. And how many know that the kingdom of God is countercultural to the kingdom that we live in right now? 
How many times have you heard us say, right feelings follow right actions? Wouldn't it make sense then that this would be the same? Our world says the opposite, right? Wait for the feeling and then you act on it. But the Bible tells us that right feelings follow right actions. So joy is a chosen focus before it's a feeling. I'm reminded of the phrase pain with a purpose. Have you all heard that phrase? I first encountered it like remember encountering it when we went to our first childbirth class. I guess our oldest is 22, so I was about seven or eight months pregnant 23 years ago, and we show up at one of the hospitals. I can never remember which one, St. Mary's or Henrico Doctors in Richmond, and you sit down on the floor with your spouse, and they're telling you about this, and I'll never forget the instructor using the phrase pain with a purpose, and she said, pain to date in your life has been to alert you to something being wrong and something needing to be fixed, but to successfully or more easily, more beautifully go through childbirth, you're about to experience pain that doesn't say something's wrong. It's part of the natural process and you have to make a shift. It's pain that's going to help you focus on the guaranteed outcome. And the guaranteed outcome is you're going to be able to hold your baby. How many of you know women don't decide they're not going to have it and then stay pregnant for three more years, right? There's a guaranteed outcome with childbirth. So it's a pain that doesn't yell, fix me, but yells, pay attention, get ready, right? Stay in the game. Let's do this because the result is going to be you're holding your child. There's a guaranteed outcome. Jesus paid the ultimate price So that no matter what painful things we are walking through in our life, we can be assured that the outcome is guaranteed for each one of us. That Jesus wins. That sin is defeated. That truth prevails. So I want to ask you tonight, in thinking about joy, where is your focus? Do you need more joy? Let's do a focus check tonight. What outcome are you looking at? Because here's the reality. Here's the raw truth. Here's, Here's the, let's just be real honest about it. The wrong focus can suck the joy out of the most God ordained, God breathed assignment for each one of us. I'm gonna say it again. The wrong focus can suck the joy out of the most God breathed assignment. I consider myself a Jesus girl. I consider myself, I had the opportunity to know Jesus at a young age. I believe that I'm living out the assignment that he has for my life. I am so far from perfect. I mess up all the time. Ask my daughter, my sons, my husband. I don't really have to spend a lot of time talking you guys into it. We've been pastoring here for 15 years. We write, we all know Vanessa's not perfect. But I consider myself on assignment. You follow me? You're on assignment. And how many know... (laughs) The real reality is that even on assignment, doing the things that Jesus, that God, God dreamt for you from the beginning of time, it is possible, if your focus is wrong, that the joy that God intended for you to have can be missing. It can get sucked out of that. I'm preaching to myself tonight because there are some circumstances, there have been seasons in the past, and I would say there are some serious circumstances that are engulfing me even right now with fear. Can anyone relate? I know I'm not alone. With grief, with anger, all the ugly things that we're not supposed to be engulfed in as Jesus followers, on assignment, serving him, obeying him, loving him. 
And in this place of, of saying, Jesus, where's the joy? He brought me to a scripture that I want us to land in, Matthew 14, if you'll go with me there, starting in verse 22. How many know Jesus is so good at taking us to a scripture that we've maybe read a lot of times and showing us something fresh and new? And I hope tonight that this is encouraging to your heart. Matthew 14, Jesus is flexing, right? Like, you want some context. Jesus has been showing off. He has been healing the sick. He has been casting out demons. He just is finishing multiplying the five loaves and the two fishes, right? Feeding 5,000, which was 5,000 men, which means, means that there was 20, 25, 30,000 people just ate here, right? It's crazy town USA what's happening, right? It's crazy. And so we pick up in verse 22. I mean, the disciples are watching this and they're getting more on board just like you and I would, right? They're seeing the power. They're seeing the miracles. They're seeing Jesus, hearing him talk about this new kingdom. They're trying to understand it. They are falling in love with Jesus. They want more of it. They want to be around it. They can't get enough of it. And we pick up in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. There's almost a sense of urgency here. Immediately he did this, right? He's dismissing the crowds and he's getting the disciples on a boat. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. So we see here that some time is passing. He sends the disciples on the boat. He's by himself to pray and he spends the night. In verse 20, uh, 24, these are important details. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So what, the, what we're hearing here from Matthew is that, hey, the boat wasn't just out anchored in the harbor waiting for Jesus. It was far out in the lake. And it was, it doesn't say a storm, but it was a windy night. How many have been on the water with wind? Stephanie and Madeline, where are you? Um, um, how many have, we, know, we, we hear that the wind is going and the waves are buffeting, right? They're slapping against, so we know the water is choppy. It's a windy night. It's been going on all night. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. He's just doing his Jesus flex thing, right? No problem walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried. And they said, excuse me, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. He's like, hey guys, it's just me, just your friend Jesus, just been and praying, now I'm walking on the lake, coming to see you. It's a little dark out, I know you can't see me very well. Verse 28, Peter, I love Peter. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Like, he already was with Jesus in a storm, and he calmed the whole storm, right? He's already seen him do all these crazy things. He's like, if it's really you, just tell me, because I'm game. I'm in. And Jesus says, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water towards Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. The message version says, but when he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve. How many know nothing changed? It had been a windy, wavy, rocking night, considerable distance on the lake. They'd been out there the entire night. 
He's walking on the water. He did it. He walked on the water. It doesn't say he stepped foot in. No, he was walking towards Jesus. But something changed. And all of a sudden, he saw the wind. Has anybody had a season, a day, a week, where you see the wind? Where you begin to see the things churning in your life that are going to make you lose your ever-loving nerve and become engulfed in fear and grief and anger and begin to drown. Maybe you're living that way tonight. You're living, serving Jesus, but you see the wind. See, Peter's focus is the only thing that changed. Peter was looking at Jesus, and he was walking amidst the waves and the wind. And all of a sudden, he saw the wind, which I think is fascinating. The wind you can't see. He saw what was happening. He took it all in. When I fix my focus on what is happening around me, my joy is depleted. It's hard to find. The things happening around me become overwhelming. They become, they, they threaten to engulf me and even drown me and begin to suck me under. It says Peter started to sink. But when I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, the winds and the waves, they don't rock me. They don't engulf me. They do not drown me. And notice here that Jesus did not calm the storm. He already did once. We know he can. I'm thinking that Peter thought he was about to calm the storm. He's like, I see him doing. He watch, watch guys, watch this. I'm gonna walk to him. He's gonna flatten. He's gonna, mm, it's gonna be lake. It's gonna be like ice, and we go walk on it. He didn't. He let this rocky night, this wavy, windy night, continue to happen, and he held out his hand to Peter, and he said, "I'm gonna walk with you. Look at me." And I believe that there's God wants to say that to some people here tonight. He wants to lovingly. Hold your face and say, hey, hey, up here. Hey, eyes on me. Give me your hand. I want to walk with you. This, this, these churnings, this wind, this waves, these trials, I want to be with you in it. Look at me. Hey, right here. Eyes on me. I know I've felt God doing that to me recently. Hey, Vanessa, this, nothing's changed, but you got to keep your eyes on me. You've got to keep looking at me. Where is your focus? So that begs the question, because we, we want to be practical tonight. What does it mean, keep your eyes on Jesus? Fix your gaze on him. Does it mean changing the photo on your screensaver of your iPhone to some weird picture of Jesus? right? It doesn't. What does that actually mean in our life, right? Don't do that. That's weird. It means setting our thoughts and our mind and our mental focus on the truth of who God is. So instead of looking at these winds and wave, instead of looking at these trials and tribulations, they're still happening. My mind is set on the truth of who God is, on what God's promises are in his word, on how God's kingdom works, on who God is. Are you with me? And although I've edited this sermon and I've prayed into it and I've made changes because it would have been an hour and a half when I first started, it always is, right? I will tell you that I did a brain dump when I was writing this sermon the first time because all of us need a list of who God is to us. 
This is my raw, vulnerable, who God is, and I'm going to share it with you in hopes that you would think, what is my list? Because when we start to see the wind, we have to have a list. We have to be able to put our mind in a different place, place our eyes on Jesus. That doesn't mean we literally put our eyes on him. The eyes of our mind must have a place to go, and they must be who we know God to be for us personally. Here's some of my list. When I start seeing the wind, what is your list? Mine is that he is faithful. That's not a Sunday school corkboard thing. When I say God is faithful, it means he shows up every single day in my life. He finishes everything he starts. He's always there. He doesn't set me on the back burner. He's not finished with me. He's got my back. He is faithful. The next one that comes to mind is he is just. Why is that important to me, Vanessa? He is just what it means to me personally is he keeps score so I don't have to in my life. And I'll tell you one, that's a big one for me. Because I want to have a, I don't want to have a bitter, cynical spirit. I want to be an old lady who's a Jesus girl still, who loves God, who loves the church, who loves his people, who believes in the next generation, who takes God at his word. So I believe that God is just. He's the ultimate score giver. I'm free to not have to keep score. If I kept score, it would weigh me down. What else is he? What is he to you? He keeps his promises. He cannot tell a lie. And don't you think I threaten the Lord? I'm not very holy when I'm talking with Jesus. He's my friend, right? God, your word says, because I see this, but this is what your word says. So I'm going to look at what your word says, right? This is who I know you to be. So even though today it feels like this is what's happening, I know you to be this. You keep your word. He wants to always be at work on my behalf. I love that one. I think of history, timeline, being like a parade. Have you ever watched the Macy's Day Parade? And usually the cameras are down and they're closing in on the dancers and the people that are anchoring the floats and you see the close-up perspective, right? But every once in a while, the camera will peel back and you'll see the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade. And I think that that's what that means to me, that he's always at work on my behalf. He sees the whole picture. You know, I'm just a little peon holding the float, right? Or I'm waving to somebody and I'm throwing candy in the parade. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But guess what? God has an incredible story he's writing through time and history. And each one of us get to be a part. And I just have to be faithful to do my part. But I know that the one who's giving me my instructions, the one who is walking with me every day, he sees the whole thing. He's the parade director. And his, his, his perspective is much more trustworthy than mine down on the ground because I can't see through the people, right? I can only see what I can see. What is your list when you start to see the wind? The next one is that he loves me completely. This isn't a theology list. This is my brain dump this day when I was crying out to Jesus about this. He loves me completely. And not only that, he likes me. Some of you need to be reminded that God doesn't just love you because he has to because he's perfect. He likes you. Like, like Jesus thinks I'm cool. 
God laughs at my jokes. He thinks my style is great. He wants to hang out and watch whatever I want to watch. He's interested in like watching home organization videos with me on YouTube. You know, he thinks I'm cool, you guys. Do you know that God thinks you're cool? And he also loves me completely. He loves me the most. And I believe there's some people here that need to know that. He loves you the most you can be loved in this moment. He cannot love you anymore based on what you do, based on what you get your act together, based on if you could just be more whatever, fill in the blank. No, he loves you the most right now. If we would let that reality saturate, when I begin to fix my eyes, when I begin to put my focus on the fact that the God of the universe loves me the most that I can be loved, it changes everything about how I want to live my life, how I see myself in relationship to him, how I see my future, how I see the waves churning beneath my feet that threaten to take away my nerve. It changes everything. And then my list takes a turn. Because God is all of these things, now let's get personal. I am forgiven. What is your list? I am forgiven. I am, I am complete through the work of Jesus on the cross for me. Because sometimes the waves and the wind are because I'm stupid and I make mistakes and I'm in my flesh and I say too much, right? Ask Fred. It's real. I am complete. I am whole. I am restored. I think of myself, this picture, I don't know if I heard it when I was a child or what, but like a brick wall that's kind of got like bricks missing and some mortar is cracked and you can see the sunlight through it and it's an incomplete structure. And then Jesus comes and he and he fills it all in, perfectly whole, perfectly restored, perfectly complete, able to do what it was designed to do. Nothing missing because of who Jesus is in my life. And because of that, I have value. I have value not because of who I am. I have value because the maker of the universe has value in me. Does that make sense? The one to whom I belong values me, so that's what gives me my value. I have value. You have value. You have a contribution to make. I have a kingdom purpose. And where do I land? When I'm seeing the wind and setting my mind on Jesus, I have a joy set before me. And that's where I get because I'm able to set my mind on a God who has a guaranteed outcome. There's a guaranteed outcome for you. So where is your focus? Joy is a chosen focus. I want to share with you some of my favorite memory verses for this because this is not something we master. This is something we have to continue to walk out. The disciplining of our mind, the, the bringing our mind into alignment with who God is and what his word says. Some of these are my, just my favorite scriptures. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I don't know about you, but I've looked for an app. I've looked for a streaming service. I've looked for a channel. There's not one. There's not one that's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Each one of us has to create our own. We have to do the hard work of creating our own mental loop on these things. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Hebrews 3.1, I like this one because it makes me feel good about myself. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. If you're having a bad day, you just read that. Therefore, holy Vanessa, who shares in the heavenly calling. 
Okay, am I the only one that's weird like that? Come on. <laughs> Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. It's not a suggestion. Hey, are you going to heaven? Do you love Jesus? Do you love the Lord? Hey, you, you're holy, you share in the heavenly calling. Guess what? Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Get your mind off earthly things. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we take captive every thought to the lordship, or excuse me, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I have two versions here. I'm saying both. Getting a mix. That's one of my favorite ones. We take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. That does not happen on accident. It does not happen naturally. It's the work of fixing our eyes on Jesus. Each one of us has to do the work of determining how to keep our mind on the things above. And when we do, we're going to find ourselves joy overflowing, joy beyond measure. So what are the things that take my focus in the wrong direction? I'll invite the band to come back up and get in place. What are those things that compete with fixing my thoughts on Jesus? Once you identify those things, this is not rocket science. You don't need to go to Bible college. You don't need a special licensing or certification. Once you figure it out, guess what? You begin to turn down the volume of those things. You begin to reprioritize those things. And you begin to turn up the volume and reprioritize the things that I would say are joy builders. They're virtue builders. Or tonight we're talking about joy. There's like 24 of them in our discipleship model that are we see in God's word. We begin to turn the volume up. And so I believe I have a, a slide that shows those 12. Where do we land? We land in the spiritual disciplines, which we call pathways. You know this, right? Spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits. We call them here at City Life Pathways because they take us somewhere. Where do they take us? It's the guaranteed outcome of the work of Christ transforming us. It's already been paid for, already bought. We're on our way there. And we begin to look at these things and assess our lives and turn up the volume of accountability, turn up the volume of gathering, turn up the volume and turn down the volume of other things. And nobody is going to come in your life and tell you what those are. We're not a legalistic church, and we shouldn't be. He's the lover of our soul. He wants to walk into your world, and he wants to say, hey, that's too loud, right? And if you would, if you would put your eyes on me, if you would turn up the volume of some of these things, you're going to find that joy is going to rise up in you, that when joy has not been able to be found, it's going to be right there, and it's going to be untouchable by what's happening in the world around you. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live any day without that kind of joy. I want all the perks that Jesus died to give me. I want all the freebies. How many like, are you, are you the freebie person? Give me all the freebies that come with the package. Joy's one of them. It's one of the freebies that comes with the package. It's promised. We just get to, we just have to set our mind on Jesus. So do you want more joy? Check your focus. If you have questions about this, each one of these is a sermon series, multiple, on our podcast, on our YouTube channel. We preach and teach these spiritual disciplines. We call them pathways. Pastor Vanessa has now stepped in to give you that cell, okay? 
If you want to know more about this, I would not be a good pastor or leader to say, this is where life is lived. You can pick up one of these books at the back of our sanctuary. We'll get you one in the mail. There's a free download at praxis.com. Study what these are and begin to put them to work in your life. Tonight, we're not going to open up what all of those 12 are. But that's where life is lived. That's how joy grows. That's how it begins to be abundant in our life. That's how when the grief and the fear and the anger threaten to drown us because they're really real things that are happening in our life that can take our breath away. That is how we can, in the midst of trial, keep our eyes on Jesus. There's not a magic pill. It's a choosing focus of where is our focus? Where is our mind? And each one of us has the opportunity to put it on the Lord. Where are your eyes fixed? What is your attention? What is your mind set on? Go ahead and stand as we return into a moment of worship tonight. And I just believe as we just take a minute to sing this song and begin to wrap up our service, I believe that God wants to give an effusion of joy to some people that are here tonight. You're a lover of the Lord. You're a daughter of the King, a son of the King. You know the Lord, but you've been seeing the wind more than you've been seeing the face of Jesus. And I just feel like God wants to come alongside of some of us and he wants to lift our countenance and say, hey, look up here. I've got you. There's a different way to walk. There's a different way to look. There's a different place to set your gaze. Will you walk to me on the water? Father, I just pray right now that as we're in this moment, God, that each one of us would courageously conduct a joy check. And Father, that we would, we would want all that you have, all that you offer, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that, that our lives would be saturated with joy. Nothing that's manufactured, nothing that's put on and taken off, something that's a result of being men and women of God who look at the guaranteed outcome, who keep our eyes on you. And because of that, in the midst of trials, we are able to experience a joy that is untouchable by the happenings of each day, by the world around us. It cannot be taken away. It doesn't make sense. It sets us apart. It gives us strength for the journey, endurance for the battle. May it be, Lord, that you give us the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's worship together.